There are a million ways to make money in the food service industry. You just have to find one. On the Titans of Food Service podcast, I interview real life movers and shakers in the food game who cut through all the noise to get to the top. My name is Nick Portillo and welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Let's jump right into it. Welcome back to the Titans of Food Service podcast. This is episode number 10. Today is a unique episode. I don't have any guests joining me, and I figured that every 10th episode or so, I would do just a check-in and talk about my experience thus far, and then also just current events and things that are going on in my life. But for those of you who have followed along through my first nine episodes, one, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And I set out to do this podcast because I wanted to help other people in the food service industry. Whether you're in sales and marketing, at a manufacturer or even a broker or a distributor, I hope that you get at least one nugget or some sort of value out of this podcast. And I brought in a superstar lineup of people from presidents to business owners to vice presidents, you name it. And there's been a lot of really great nuggets that I've taken away for sure and have applied to my own business. It's unique to see and talk to other people who have become successful in their line of work, even if it's different from me as you know, I'm, I'm a, a food service broker, but it's interesting to see and hear how other people work, how other people got to where they are today. There's so much to take away from that. So and one thing that I I was not expecting was that the people that have come onto the podcast, I've gotten a reception that they've heard from a lot of people. Because I post it on, I usually advertise on LinkedIn, and then you can find the episodes anywhere you listen to a podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, so on and so forth. But they've gotten some great reception from people within their network. And I and I noticed too, when I post on LinkedIn, that that post will start getting likes from other people within the interviewee's orbit. So really cool. Gotten some great feedback on it so far. And again, thank you for listening through my first nine episodes. And here we are, episode number 10, very exciting. When I started to do this podcast, I really didn't know where I was to begin. But for those of you who want to start a podcast, what I did was I did a lot of research. And you start with the basics of one, I, I found a podcasting coach, somebody who could help me get this uh, up started. And the, kind of the first steps were to have the equipment. I want to make sure that I provide a quality experience, both audio and visual. And so that is what, what I needed to do is I invested in a Sony ZV-1 camera. I got a ring light. I got a, a Sure microphone for the podcast. I got a, uh, an arm to hold the, the microphone. By doing these little things to get it set up, it put me in a position to then I could you know, just have people come on. We can, I can turn on the lights, turn on the camera. Boom, we're going to film it. And then what I do is I send that raw uh, uncut footage into a company that works with us to do the video editing, make short little 30 to 60 second clips. And they, I mean, they do a fantastic job. And if you wanted to start your own podcast, I would love to get you in touch with them. When it comes to video editing and all of that, that is completely out of my comfort zone. If I were to do that myself, it, it would take me a lot of time to figure it out. So really grateful for them. You know, stick to, stick to my strengths. 
had the upfront work, getting it set up. But now it's really just turn on the lights, film it, and then I have a team that can take care of the editing from there. So when I first started, I thought this is something that I've wanted to do for a while. But when I sink my teeth into something, I have always had a long-term investment view. And what I mean by that, it actually all started back when I was in high school. I had about $1,200 to my name and there was a penny stock. It was called Neo Media Technologies, I believe. And it was a penny stock. I think I was maybe my freshman or sophomore. And what they did was they actually invented, I don't, I think they invented, or maybe they were one of the early adapters of the QR code. And they had a reader that would read these QR codes. I'm like, man, that is the future right there. And no one even knew what the heck a QR code was, but I figured I'm on the cutting edge. And I think it cost me per share maybe two or three cents. I mean, it was it was dirt cheap. It, it By true definition, it was a penny stock. So I put all my $1,200 into this one stock and I figured this is this is the stock that's going to make me rich. It's kind of like the the whole Bitcoin craze, craze, you know, a lot of people think it's the it's the get rich quick scheme. And if you don't know what you're doing, which I had no idea what I was doing, you can lose your money and you can lose your money very fast. So I put my money into this investment and I figured I'd watch it grow and from the day that I put that money in, the 2 to 3 cents whatever it was never went up another penny. And it was so sad. And actually, just a few years ago, I finally I held on to the stock and the comp, uh, the company. I don't even think they're in business anymore. But I went out of business and I sold off the the stock. And I, I think it about my twelve hundred dollars. I think I got maybe like twenty dollars back. I, I mean, it went down to just zero. So I got my twenty bucks and. It was the most expensive. I went and bought lunch with it. I got a sandwich, and it was the most expensive sandwich I've ever had in my life. So, but it taught me a, a, an interesting lesson. And that lesson was one, even though at the time I figured, you know, this company with QR codes, they're cutting edge. And, and I mean, look at it now QR codes are everywhere thanks to, you know, the advancement of technology due to the pandemic and everybody needing to pivot. But it was, a life lesson to be learned that there's no way to become successful at anything just overnight like that. And there's no quick gratification. There's no quick success. So going back to when I started, when I wanted to start this podcast, I figured whatever this is going to be, it's going to be a 10-year investment for me. It's going to be an episode every week. And I would just stay consistent with it over long periods of time. And I know you know, this is my 10th episode, but it'd be interesting interesting to see once I get to 30 episodes or once I get to 100 episodes or 1,000 episodes. The show and channel and podcast itself will adapt and it'll change and it'll evolve. And over time, I'll become better at, at this and the content will be hopefully more rich for the people listening along. So long-term has always been my view. And ever since I lost my $1,200, I I have the same exact view. I I have two different investment types that I invest in, and it's something I I don't look at them daily. I put the money in and I just let it grow. Especially now at this point in time, it's what January twenty twenty three. Excuse me, February twenty twenty three, 
And at 29 years old, I got a long life to live. And if you just, you should look up on Google one time, a, a compounding interest calculator. That's always a lot of fun. And put in a, a starting amount, let's just say like, I don't know, put in $100. And let's say you put it into some sort of index fund that gets you on average, you know, it's a good return. Let's just say 8 to 10%. And 8 to 10% on that $100 between today as a 29-year-old to, let's say, 65 or 70. You know, that, that, they say that's the retirement age. I think I'm going to go forever, but we'll see. <laughs> but let's say between that 29 to 65 or 70, at an 8 to 10% clip, $100 investment, you know, that's going to become thousands of dollars. It's going to compound on top of it, where I could have spent that $100 and gotten myself a nice new shirt. Uh, but really, by delaying gratification is really what it is. And putting uh, aside my needs and wants right now to pick them up at, on a greater scale down the road, that has always been my mindset. And it was a $1,200 lesson to learn that. But now that's, you know, look at some of the wealthiest people in the world, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. You know, their strategy is not buy and sell stocks. It's, it's a buy and hold strategy. And for a long time, you know, they talk about they, they own stocks and whatnot back from the, the 80s still. And they just become behemoth monsters, these, these funds that they have. And so I, I, I take the same exact approach. I stay in my lane of what I know, and then I invest in the long term. Not giving anybody investment advice, that's just how I live my life. It started with my own business, Portillo Sales and Marketing, the food service brokerage. I knew you know, it was very slow to start. There was a lot of days where we struggled to, not struggled, we just didn't make any money, especially in our first year. And I remember we initially went out and found a person or two to join our team, even though we had no money coming in. And we ran out of money out of our own personal savings, my dad and I, that's who start, I started my company with my dad. And we ran, ran out of money after a, a little while with this employee, just paying them. And it was scary. But you know, thankfully, everything works out for a reason. When I, I, don't, I don't necessarily have a backup plan when I go into things like this. It's I put my head down and just grind and just work and just stay focused at it. And I know over time that I will be successful. Or I'll find that I, I need to pivot and maybe look at it at the at the equation a little bit differently. Yeah. I've definitely done that with my food service brokerage company. You know, we started one way and the way we are today is similar, but there has been changes throughout the years. And so when I say I'm going to do this for 10 years, the, at least this podcast, it's, it's hard for our brains. I think, I, I don't know if our brain can even comprehend ourselves in 10 years. So if I'm 29 today as a 39-year-old, my brain can't even imagine myself as a 39-year-old. What am I going to look like? Will I have gray hair? Will I even have hair? Um, you know, so it's, it's so hard to imagine ourselves in the future. So what I've done and what I've learned is it's all about forming habits and it's doing things in the short term on a consistent basis. So for example, in the most easiest terms for the podcast is one episode a week. So just film one episode every week. And by doing that same habit and getting used to it and getting comfortable doing these interviews, because there are times where I feel, I feel nervous. I don't, I feel maybe unprepared. I feel, especially as I get more and more guests on, there'll be more and more people that I, that I don't know that well. 
And it's it's learning about their live and their story right on, right there, right in front of me when the camera's rolling. So when I stay just consistent by one episode a week, I'm not only getting better myself and building my audience, building my message, over time, you know, it really starts to magnify. And if you go back to that compounding interest calculator that you can find on Google, I think uh, irs.gov has one. And it's not, you, you, you can't just see it just in the numbers by putting in your $100 to start and then 8 to 10% over time. You can see it in anything in your life. And the most successful people in this world, you have those people out there that do have a get-rich-quick scheme and, or they become su- successful overnight. I mean, truly just fall right place, right time, or they just have some sort of genius that is uh, unmatched. I, I don't know. I, you know I'm, I'm, I'm not one of those people, but those people are the extreme rule, uh, extreme, ex- excuse me, extreme exception, not the rule. There's very, 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 very few people of them, but there's uh, many more people who do become successful in whatever that is. Maybe that's in becoming a painter. Maybe that's in becoming a contractor or a doctor or a lawyer or Becca, even a food broker. But it just takes time and it, it's really around ha- forming habits and doing the little things. And I actually have it here. I found this cool thing, and this is not a plug for them, but it's called an Oak Journal. And I fill it out daily, and you write down you know, things you're, gra- you're, you're grateful for and your vision for the day and kind of your agenda. And it makes you think differently, but it also makes you focus on your habits. What are your 90-day goals? And on that day, let's say it's a Tuesday in time, on that Tuesday, is your actions going to influence your 90-day goals? And it just kind of keeps track of that. So there's the the fear around a looming a recession. You know, you hear people say this is going to be the the end of the world, and this recession is just going to be terrible, and it's going to be so scary. But then you have other people that say we're not going to be in a recession, or it's going to be a quote unquote a soft landing. I've actually gone to seminars and met with other great minds around. The economy, you know, because I'm not an econo- uh, economist by any means. I, I can barely even say the word. But, you know, I, I, I found that people as a whole, the, the sentiment seems to be around more of a shorter term, mild to medium type recession, you know, not necessarily a soft landing. It, you know, the definition of a soft landing is really you land soft and it just keeps going up from there. But I think that's only happened a couple times in the history uh, of our country. So a soft landing, is it possible? Yes, it's it, nothing's impossible, but really planning for that short-term kind of recession and it, it being mild. But in that time, it's, it's valuable time to take advantage of. And what I mean by that, and you can see it through the pandemic, is you never want to let an opportunity like this, and while in the short term, it may be very difficult. It may be very scary to navigate. It's looking at, again, what is my long-term plan? And let's say you're a stock investor and you're a long-term investor like myself. You might have things like a pandemic or you might have things like a, the recession of 2008, 2009, where your stock just plummets or your stock just takes off. And you have ripples along the way, but when it's a long-term view, those little ripples along the way don't look nearly as bad. And actually, things continue to go up even though you over the long term, even though you've had some downs. So 
the recession has provided a unique opportunity for a lot of individuals and a lot of businesses. There'll be a lot of businesses that, and we've already seen it, you know, they, they are cutting their employee forces uh, immediately, but there might be others who have different strategies, you know, and everybody has a different strategy. But regardless, it is an opportunity for a lot of people and individuals to really come out on the other side even better. I, I've heard a quote one time, and I, I can't remember what it is verbatim, but essentially those who become overnight successes, you know, it's it's working through these times and really getting down to the brass tacks of, you know, maybe changing your habits or making your business more systematized and better processes, whatever it may be. And one day, as you come out of the recession, for example, you people start recognizing you're like, wow, you've really grown. And you're kind of an overnight success. You came out of nowhere, you know, because nobody's necessarily looking, especially when you're smaller. And it's kind of a unique opportunity that we're in right now to have that exact thing. So like any situation, it's both an opportunity and a threat depending on who you are. So there will be a lot of people that really take advantage of this recession or whatever it may be, or economic downturn, whatever you want to call it. And they may say, you know what, I'm going to take the time to better my business. So that's something that at Portillo Sales and Marketing that we're doing is looking at what can we systematize? What can we uh, maybe even delete? Or what can we make more efficient or simpler and take this time to make ourselves a better company? When we look at servicing a client or a customer, we always think, okay, this is this is their expectation of us, but how do we over-deliver on that expectation. If the expectation is a line, I want to be above that line in terms of value that we drive to them. Because when you drive value uh, greater than the level of expectation, the hope is, and it's not, it's not in all circumstances, but the hope is that those clients, one, they appreciate what you do. And for sure, there's a financial incentive being a commissioned sales team like we are, but that they share with their other colleagues, their other customers, the, the other, in my case, food service manufacturers that are similar to them and say, hey, these guys and gals, they do a great job. And that's where you know, you know the business really grows. So when we look at it that way, it is really a time to review our business, review our systems, review our processes, and just get tighter on what we do. So that's really our focus as we come into this recession. And, and one of the big programs that we've, we've rolled out is all around transparency for our employees. Our, we call them our team members. And or it's a salary enhancement program. So what we've done if we, is we've incentivized our team, and this is the first time, first year that we've done it here in 2023, we just rolled it out early in Q1, or should I say in January. And what it is, is every employee or every team member has the opportunity to make 6% of their base salary. Now, we have over 20 employees. So it's not by any means a small investment. It's an investment back into our team, uh, but it's also an investment in communication, transparency. And it's also a way to say, we know what our goals and objectives are, and we're going to incentivize everybody to get to those. So the first half, the first 3% of the 6% is an individual goal. And each department 
has their own unique goals, sales, marketing, customer service, executive admin, directors, managers. Each one of them has a goal to hit. And then there's on the second half of the 6%, the other 3% is a team goal. And the team goal essentially is if everybody's pulling their weight on the individual side, you're getting compensated for that. But then you're also getting compensated really for the results. So we've really pushed our company to not be an activity-based company, more of a productivity-based organization. So it incentivizes our people to look big picture. Okay, how am I going to grow this manufacturer client? Or how am I going to grow this, this piece of business? And how do I focus on the larger opportunities? In our, you know, in food service, there's thousands. We're in California and in, in Nevada. There's hundreds, thousands of food service operators out there. And there's some that are gigantic. They have hundreds of units. Maybe it's a huge restaurant chain, but then there's also a lot that are maybe just a single unit. So it's really the program is meant to prioritize, you know, where should we be channeling our efforts? So it'll be interesting to see how the program goes because what we like to say is we deliver knowledge of and access to strategic accounts. In the broker world, everybody says, well, our, you know, we work with operators. You know, we, that, that's, who, that's who we work with uh, on the broker side. We've gone and taken that and kind of expanded a little bit better. And our, I shouldn't say a little bit better. Everybody does it differently, but a little bit more. And it's really around the strategic accounts. So that encompasses your large impact operators and then your second and third tier distributors. Now, every manufacturer's client is different. We have a customized sales plan based on the manufacturer. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Some really want those large impact operators, and so we channel our focus there. Some really want the second and third tier distribution, so we channel our focus there. And, and then there's people, uh, many, who want a combination of both. We don't ignore the broadline distributors. That's a very valuable part of our business, and we really work with those uh, impact operators to help drive business to grow those broadliners' bi- uh, business on their behalf. So that is kind of ha- a little peek under the hood of how we how we go to market. But this six percent salary enhancement program is a means to create transparency as well. How many of us go to work every day and we do a specific job, and we don't know how that specific job? correlates to the overall success of the business, especially of thousands of employees. How do you know that what you are doing in that day and time affects the overall business? So what we want to do is put the transparency back into the business and say, here is what drives our economic engine. It's not a means to grade each other. It's a means to give more of an inside look as to what we really need to do to stay in business and to stay in business and drive a profit. You know, that's, <laughs> those are two very important things for any company. So our hopes with this program, especially through 2023, is sure, we're going to make it a, a sizable investment because we put the goals, again, if you can imagine your level of comfort, we put it just above the level of, of the individual's comfort. So it's it's a stretch goal. It's a reach goal to get to that 6%, to get the total amount. And what's nice too, actually, this is a quick sidebar, is we've structured it so that it's a accelerating goal. So 
if there's four quarters in a year, we're in a calendar year, Q1, two, three, and four. In the first quarter, you can get 10, you, all you have to do is achieve 10% of the overall goal. So for example, if you need to sell 100 widgets of something, in Q1, you only need to sell 10. In Q2, it's 20% of the goal. So you need to sell 20. So you have 10 widgets from quarter one, you have 20 widgets from quarter two for a total of 30. And then Q3, you need 30% of the overall goal, and then Q4, 40%. So 10, 20, 30, and then 40%. And it's accelerating from Q1 up until Q4. So that way people can, you know, especially when you're working with a restaurant chain, depending on the size, maybe they have an ad advertising budget. They want to put uh, any items on television, or maybe they have you know tons of menus, and it, it operationally it takes a lot to to change. So those types of sales take a lot longer of a process to close. So we want to make sure that our team has time to ramp up. That way we don't put it evenly throughout the year, because then you just you, you put so much pressure to succeed from day one. Where really, if you can achieve the total six percent goal, I mean you are you are going to move some serious boulders, and that's going to move our company in the right direction. So. We put this program in place again, big investment up front, but with a recession coming to, you know, an economic slowdown, we already see with our numbers, they're kind of they're softening a little bit. And I think in, I think in January overall, we ended up flat from January of 2021. But what we wanted to do, even with a with a, a turndown, is let's invest the dollars back into the people, back into our business, back into transparency and communication. Let's put make sure everybody has the right keys to drive the car. And our hope is, as we come up and out of the recession, that we fall into that category of companies that it's the quote unquote the overnight success. Like, where do these guys and gals come from? And it, it starts with habit forming. It starts with doing the little things first in the short term and just compounding on those over the long term. So it's what, what we like to call it a systematizing our processes. So looking at our overall business and to help achieve the salary enhancement program, our leadership team, you know, it's really looking at what are the, what are the things that we do today that are low income producing activities. So that might be dropping off a sample, for example, in our line of work. So it's how do we systematize, you know, write down all of the, the challenges to dropping off a sample, especially if you're in Southern California, Northern California, the geography is so great. So from getting point A to point B, you're going to go through traffic. That's just a, a fact of life. And there's a cost. It's gas is not, it, it's the most expensive in California compared to any state. So from getting point A to point B, how can we keep our sales team selling? How can we keep our marketing team marketing? How do we keep our customer service team staying on top of uh, customer complaints and order entry and, and so on and so forth? And how can we systematize that process so that we can, instead of focusing on just delivering one sample, how do we get 10 all at once? Or how can we get 100? So it's looking at systematizing a process to make it a lot easier so that we can focus on the one thing, which is the salary enhancement program. Keep the one thing the main thing. 
So that is also a big focus for us here in 2023 is looking at whether all those, what I, like I mentioned, the low-income producing activities and how can we turn those in either systematize it or delete it and then fill that time with high-income producing activities, presenting products to a restaurant chain or working with a manufacturer client or putting together a sales plan, so on and so forth. And it was really hard to do this and I know uh, it, it, it depends on you know the the company as well, but some of our some of the manufacturers that we've dealt with over the past as well is when we first started out was it's hard to when you're when you're at from zero dollars to about a million dollars in sales. You know, for us, it's overall the overall business in California, Nevada. Maybe for a food service manufacturer, maybe it's in a certain market or certain geographical ter- territory. Where when you're from zero to one million dollars, it's really, really, really difficult to get that horsepower to scale and drive your business. And I, I especially found when we were starting up our business, it was a lot of my dad and I doing every function of the business, sales, finances, going to the mail to get the the checks in the mail, finding new clients, setting up market visits, doing the market visits doing the year-end numbers for our accountant, HR. I mean, we did everything. And your bandwidth gets strapped. But that's okay because when you're from zero to one million, whether you're selling your own product or some, selling somebody else's product, it's it's in those moments where you learn so much about the business and learning about the the different job functions that it takes to be successful. But once you get to that that million, especially on the, on the entrepreneurial side, you start to notice that, I have revenue coming in to hire people around me that are better than me. You know, for me, when it comes to HR, for example, I, I don't know the first thing about HR or customer service. Our customer service team, I mean, is light years ahead of me. What they do, I, I couldn't even imagine doing. They are just so much better at that than I am. So it's, it's working with the right people and all of us sitting in the right seats so that our our company can move forward. But really, it takes some time to get to that point. And really, you need dollars or some sort of initial investment up front to be able to spend. But as we as you got up to a million, and and you're gonna see I'm gonna parlay this into food service manufacturers as well. As you got up to a million, you kind of start to scale from there. You start to notice trends in your business where there's certain segments, let's become more niche focused as opposed to selling to everybody. Let's just sell to a certain certain segment or segments or customer types, whatever it may be. And let's just focus all of our brand messaging around that, our marketing, our point of sale, our sales presentations, everything that we do, let's build it around that business and let's focus on it. If you are selling an item that is not make, meant for the K-12 space, then don't show it to the K-12 space. You're going to waste their time and your time. So... Or if you have something that's meant for K-12 and it's specific to the school nutrition guides that they require, maybe it's not a fit for other types of segments or other types of customers. So, you know, it's really determining what that niche is and really kind of fine-tuning on what it is and building the infrastructure around yourself to scale the business. When we work with food service manufacturers, we've really found that our core customer and the brands that we take on have a couple million or more in 
gross sales within California and Nevada. And typically they have 10 or more points of distribution. And that's really our, our bread and butter. Those are kind of the, I shouldn't say bread and butter. Those are the minimums to, to have. We're not the, we're not the necessarily the make your first dollar team. We're more of the, hey, let's, let's give you the horsepower to market at scale sales agency. So when we work with, when manufacturers reach out to us who maybe are not in that spectrum, of 2 million or more, 10 points or more of distribution, and they're closer to zero than 2 million, it's difficult to find a broker. It's difficult to get up and started. And there's a lot of, it, it, it's painful, I know, because I, I, I talk to, I try to help as many people as they possibly can. And in talking with them, it's, you know, maybe a broker might say, I can go out and show it to some customers and let you know, or maybe there's some sort of retainer, some sort of upfront investment. But really, when you're just starting out, maybe it's not necessarily most needed to find a broker upfront. Maybe it's bootstrapping yourself and going out, finding new business and building it slowly, but learning along the way. That way, as the business grows, you can then hand it off to a broker or you can hire a direct sales rep and then a broker, a broker, then a direct sales rep, you know, kind of have a progression as you move up. But really it's going to take a lot of effort on yourself to go out there and pioneer that business. And that just takes time. It takes effort. And even like myself, I, I didn't, when I started in food service, I had no relationships. So Initially, it was just getting people to know who the heck I even am and that I even exist and have a, a heartbeat. So I would have to go out, drag the bag, and I started small. I started so small. I would walk up and down Pacific Coast Highway with my bag of goods, my bag of samples, and we were doing just pro bono work pretty much for, for food service brands and going to different cafes down Pacific Coast Highway here in Orange County and really not have a lot of success up front. The size accounts, you know, they weren't really driving any volume. If I'm selling a case a week and I'm making 5% on that, I mean, it's going to take me forever to make any kind of significant money. But I learned so much during that process that as I started to build relationships, I started to get comfortable making these calls. I started to get, and so as I got comfortable, I was able to move up and move to maybe a three to five unit operator, maybe a, a 50 unit operator. And then, you know, kind of the language and the verbiage around what they talk about, what they need is it changes. Uh, I, you know, getting into second, third tier distribution or broadline distribution, it started to learn their language, their lingo, and it was really growth, but it took time to get there. And you can read books or, you know, hopefully listen to this podcast. But, <laughs> It's it just takes time, and that zero to one million is just brutal. I know it is. I know it is. It's frustrating, but don't. There's no going back to when I originally said. There's no quick way to make a lot of money or to be successful overnight. It just doesn't happen. It's a long term process. View yourself. If I could do this, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to start a food service manufacturing brand, I'm just going to start a brand in food. Heck, any industry. It's the long-term view of things that really go the furthest. And it's few, I mean, so far and few between people who just 
become successful over in a year or two. It just takes time. So if you're one of those manufacturers out there that is struggling to find a broker, and maybe I'm speaking directly to you, just know that you're not alone. It is very common and it just takes time to build your your sales. It takes time to hone in your brand messaging to get your production set. But just keep at it. Don't quit. Never quit. And you'll be shocked at the results you have over a long period of time. So thank you for (laughs) joining me here on the 10th episode of the Titans of Food Service podcast. I really enjoy doing these and I hope that you too find some value out of it. Until next time, episode 11, thank you for listening.